to be honest, man, I just had enough. I'd borrowed so much money off so many people that I felt like such a burden. And um, yeah, one morning I just woke up, grabbed my rope, went out to the garage and attempted to take my life. I'm Luca Reedy, and welcome to the Feeling Alive podcast. I believe there are five key areas of life that when we harness, enables us to live an empowered and fulfilled life. Each episode, I'll interview experts on different aspects of one of these five key areas, which I call the five pillars. Medicine, men, move, mission, and migraine. You see, I'm tired of seeing the immense potential of those around me go unrealized and unserved because the best version of yourself exists right now. It's time to wake up. Welcome back to another episode of Feeling Alive with Luca Ridi. I'm super excited to have this interview right now with a very special man, uh, very dear to me, whether he knows it or not. But today we're actually speaking about the second pillar, MEND. This is the second pillar of the five pillars of personal transformation. This this in particular aspect of MEND is going to is, is, is going to break through a lot of barriers for a lot of people. I'm excited to talk about it. It is actually breathwork, the healing modality, one of the healing modalities that we can use to heal the pain of our past. I've had direct experience with breathwork. I know this beautiful man has also, and that's why I really want to bring this episode to you all today to see if you can start implementing it or to bring your awareness to this aspect so you can use it in your life. So, Without further ado, I've got Lachlan Samuel here. He is the host of Open Up Podcast, a counsellor, a workshop facilitator, and most importantly, he's on a mission on making mental health mainstream, making it safe for people to be vulnerable and accepted. Um, Welcome, Lachlan Samuel. Brother, how are you? I'm good, bro. Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome, man. It's really, it's an honour to have you here. I know we've... The tides are turned. You interviewed me a couple of months ago, actually on my that breakthrough moment. I just want to thank you for that because you gave me that platform to be vulnerable and share my story. So thank you, brother. Oh, it's powerful, bro. No worries. Well, let's get stuck into it. Let's get deep, quick. I think the way we like it. Um, yes. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about talk a little bit about your story, brother. I think for people listening here, I think it's really important to paint this picture of where you were previously and yep. to where you are now so let's let's talk talk me a little bit about your FIFO experience and and the journey you went on okay uh so for me man starting FIFO I started as a 19 year old so I ran away from Auckland New Zealand to straight to Kalgoorlie man 19 uh at the time I was a cheating narcissist so I had a beautiful girlfriend uh but I was cheating on her all the time just destroying people who uh, even thought about telling her that I was a cheater, manipulator. Until I did that until I got to a point where my best friend at the time um, caught me sexting his partner. And so instead of facing those consequences with my friend, instead of um, facing being outcast from my friend group and the possibility of my girlfriend finding out, I booked a one-way ticket to Kalgoorlie and 
started my FIFO journey as that mess of a boy, man. So I did FIFO, like I really, as someone who never felt like they were enough, who was brown um, in, I guess, the poorer suburbs of New Zealand, I wasn't expected to be much and I didn't expect much from myself. So I never felt like I was going to be successful in FIFO for me big pay packet, the brotherhood. Um, to me, that meant like validation that I was worthy, that I was successful. I could go to a pub or a bar and if a girl asked me what I did, I could say what I did and they, they knew that I made decent money. So, you know, I was no longer ashamed of being me. So I did FIFO for about four years in Kalgoorlie. I met someone, I fell in love and we moved from Kalgoorlie to Perth. Uh, when we were moving, man, I was on a five and two roster, so like five days away, two days at home. Mm. Like awesome, awesome roster for me, considering I'd been doing like two weeks away, three weeks away, four weeks away. So I got every weekend with my partner, but uh, neither of us had any family or friends in Perth, like nothing at all, no support networks. And so when I left, um, when I was going back to site, I was going back to like my friends, free gym, free food, people making my room. And like most importantly, I was going back to that identity of being a FIFO worker, working hard, making a lot of money. Mm. Um, for her, on the flip side, it was like being completely alone. And so every night, I remember I had to call her at 9 p.m. and I had to stay on the phone to her until she fell asleep while we were talking. Um, just because she, she used to have night terrors and like sleep paralysis. So being alone was bad and like bad enough, but on top of that, she had night terrors and that made it really hard for her. So we went through that, man. And looking back now, she was like definitely depressed. She was going through depression and she started threatening to do, um, do harm to herself unless I stopped working away. And I didn't like, instead of having compassion and empathy, that still that narcissist, man, I um, took on, this view of, I guess I took on hatred. I was like, man, why are you trying to take this away from me? I'm finally something. I'm finally happy. Um, I'm doing something I love. I'm making good money for us. Why are you trying to take this away from me? And I continued down that train of thought, man. Um, even when she did uh, do something quite severe, uh, I didn't stop working away. I didn't stop FIFO. Like, in fact, I took on a even worse, Ross, I started working four weeks away, making more money, feeling even better about myself, surrounded by, like, more friends. Mm. So um, we eventually broke up. I got wandering eyes as well, so that played into that, that, that narcissist again, man. And what I didn't know at the time, though, was that, like, having a girlfriend for me was having this validation servo just off to the side. Like any time I felt like my dick was too small or I was fat or I didn't look good or anything like that, um, I could just go back to her. She could top me up and then I'd feel good again. I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. So um, when I lost her, I lost that. And then I fell into depression while working four and one. Uh, my work ethic waned, so I become a poor worker. I started skipping skipping days at work, which if you're doing a four and one, that's a, like a big no-no. Mm. And like neither me or my workplace understood it. So they just forced me to resign just assuming that, you know, I didn't want to work there anymore because I was such a poor worker and a poor communicator at that point. Mm. Um, so yeah, man, got like six hours after being forced to resign. I was on a bus on a flight 
back in this big house in Perth. Um, no income, no friends, no family, no partner. Um, but like most importantly, no identity as that FIFO guy. And so I, I spiraled pretty quickly. I began drinking a lot, began, I guess, abusing steroids more and trying to sleep with as many women as I could. Uh, I did that for a couple of months before I got a call from my partner or my ex-partner and she told me she was pregnant. And so I didn't take that well. Uh, tried to force her into an abortion for about 12, I guess, 12 to 14 weeks. Um, when she heard the heartbeat, she decided she couldn't do it. And so, like, luckily for both of us, she stood strong and kept it. But I treated her very, very poorly for her whole pregnancy, man. Um, and, like, looking back now, it's hard. It's hard to say that. It's taken a lot of time to forgive myself for that because I know how, I know how much trauma I would have put her through. And so, like, three months after baby was born, she decided to move from Perth to Sydney because because of how much I hurt her and she associated this, this city with um, that hurt, that pain, that suffering. And so when they moved, like I was no longer at the gym, I was no longer in good shape, I was no longer the FIFO worker because I was ashamed to go back to FIFO, being forced to resign. Uh, I had no money. I'd spent all my savings trying to start a business that I had no right even attempting. Um, so broke, borrowing money. And to be honest, man, like I just had enough. I'd borrowed so much money off so many people that I felt like such a burden. And um, yeah, one morning I just woke up, grabbed my rope, went out to the garage and attempted to take my life. Fuck. So yeah, that was, for me that, like I still remember it. I still remember like hanging there and like squirming. I still remember seeing my daughter walking to school holding her mum's hand like from behind and just thinking holy shit what are you doing man what are you doing and you know luckily I was able to get myself out of that like being a being a rigger I know what knots to tie <laughs> so I should have done a good job but you know subconsciously or unconsciously you know I mustn't have wanted to die mm. otherwise I would have done it properly and so like I remember lying lying on the ground in fetal position for a few hours, just like contemplating my life. And I think that's that's the moment where I really decided to put someone else first, like for the first time ever in my life. Um, it had been a selfish existence up until that point, man. And that was really the first time that anyone else ever come before me. And that was, that was for like my daughter. So I made the decision that I was gonna become a, like a better man better human, better father for her, just so I could nurture her and help her grow up without the limiting beliefs that I had. Mm, brother, there's, uh, there's, my whole body has goosebumps just hearing your story, knowing the person you are, and I, for one, am so incredibly grateful that you are still here with us today, and thank God or whoever it is, thank you to whoever planted those little seeds to get your daughter here to keep you alive because this yeah. is all a part of a greater purpose which you are now living and I yeah really am truly humbled to be here able to 
hear your story, witness your story and share your story because this is going to change a lot of lives and people need to understand that they're not alone. And bro, it's just amazing to hear hear you speak that and to see, to witness you stand there as the man you are now. And I, I love you, brother. It's awesome to hear this. So I could see the turning point where you, you know, subconsciously you didn't tie the knot strong enough and so you were sitting there and that gave you that moment to go no i needed to get to the pit here i need to get to the pit of, of the, the very bottom of the bottom to realize now we're going up and yeah your turning point so we i know you would have had a lot of there would have been a big journey after that point that's the new journey what was we, we're talking about breathwork here in particular how did you get introduced to breathwork because breathwork is just one form of uh, healing modality. When we're talking about healing, we're talking about, and we're talking about the second pillar, mend. It's this trauma. It's this childhood trauma. It's this past life trauma. It's just emotional baggage that we know it as stuck in the body that causes us to run this program subconsciously and show up in a world where we're not actually expressing our true selves, right? And so breath work for you, bro, how did that help you? How did you find it? What style of breathwork did you use? What type of like environment was it being used in? Can you give us a bit more information on that? Yeah, man. I'll, I'll run through like from that point after the attempt up until I got to breathwork. I'll do it like fairly awesome, quickly. Bro, take your time. It gives a little bit of context. Um, so like after that moment, it was it's been like a relentless pursuit of just becoming better, man. And like it's been ups and downs. I um, worked on myself to a point where I felt I was good enough to go back to FIFO. I went back to uh, FIFO four and one up at Wheatstone, making really good money. Had a guy while I was up there take his life, um, and then that started the conversation up there that he was a pussy, he was a fag, and so I went back into depression from that point, uh, and it got so bad that I just walked off site one day into my superintendent's office, cried, and told him that if I go back to my room, I'm going to attempt again. And so he got my room packed up for me, got me on a bus, put me on a flight um, and yeah, pretty much evacuated me for being suicidal. But like, as soon as I landed, I started the podcast for people like me who are suffering in silence, um, who felt alone and misunderstood something they, that they could consume without anyone knowing. And it's just been a progression from there. Like nine months after starting that, uh, the friend that I was relying on up at Wheatstone um, through that depression and suicidality, he took his life um, as well. So it's become like very, very much heart-centered, this mission to make mental health mainstream. But going through the podcast, like I've done 100 episodes now and I've got to meet beautiful, beautiful souls like yourself and like DK. And, you know, I'm just grateful, man. But without without the podcast, I wouldn't have been introduced to anything like mm, Breathwork. Right. I wouldn't have been introduced to any of the like the tools that I've come across that have helped me. And while going through this process of like meeting all these people like yourself who are so self-aware and so vulnerable, I realized that I'd buried uh, sexual abuse from like the ages of eight to 10 mm. and like worked really hard to work through that. That gave me a porn addiction, uh, inferiority complex about my dick being too small because he always told me it was too small. And then sometimes when I'd close my eyes, I'd, I'd see his dick, so I'd 
I think I was gay, and so I've, I've worked. I had to work through a lot of that, and I thought working through that, I'd work through everything. But what I realised when I finally got to breath work was that I hadn't. Um, I still felt like I wasn't enough. Uh, I still felt like I wasn't worthy. I still felt like I didn't deserve love. And so, luckily enough, I was. I was speaking at a, an event called Expand Your Awareness. Funnily enough, <laughs> uh, and that's what it did. But I was speaking at an event, and they had a breath worker called Jake Loretto, who's like a good friend of mine now. Um, they had him doing a session there, and I was like, "Oh, all right, I'll give this a go." Have no idea what it is. Like it's just breathing. Can't be that hard. And I did it, man, and it just sent me to outer space. <laughs> like seriously, bro. Like within within twenty minutes, I was like crying, hyperventilating and shaking. Um, and like within that first session, within like the first, that first session, which was about 45 minutes, uh, I realized that that feeling of not being enough wasn't from the sexual abuse and feeling like I was gay and being this pig of a man to woman. It was because uh, my dad tried to drown me in a bathtub when I was about six years old. And so that, that breathwork session took me back to that moment, uh, made me re-experience it. And I remember I remember going through it, going through that experience, and then I remember being in the bed under the covers, um, just being so fearful of my dad like that night and him coming in and trying to apologize. But through that breathwork, man, um, which, which was biodynamic breathwork, it showed me that I had trauma that I had buried that I hadn't even been aware of um, that was compelling me to to act in a way uh, where I'd self-sabotage all mm. the time because, like, in unpacking that that moment, that trauma, I realised that it wasn't, I wasn't uh, enough. It was that I wasn't deserving of love. Like, my, my dad mustn't have loved me, so therefore... I don't deserve love, uh, which obviously impacted all the relationships I had. It impacted the way that I interact with people. I've never had really, really close friends since I left New Zealand just because I don't like getting too close to people. Um, my friend circle is very, very small. And any time I get any sort of praise, recognition or, or awards, um, I freeze up and I very much, I'm very uncomfortable in that position. And so that's what that first session showed me. Um, and then the ones after that, like the next couple have been super profound as well. Not the, haven't been like transported back to that, those moments, that trauma. But for me, it's just been like a gradual, um, a gradual unearthing mm -hmm. acknowledgement and like relinquishing of, of some of that trauma. And like the next two were all about, well, we're both about my dad and just um, feeling through that emotion, feeling through that resentment for him, uh, feeling through that fear and then just letting go really. And like those two, those two next sessions, I just cried <laughs> most of the time. Um, and it was even powerful for my partner. She come to the third one and she cried for 45 minutes <laughs> and, and for her uh, being my support, it was, we got together when my ex was pregnant 
And so I tried for about two to three years to push her away because I didn't want her to be with me, knowing the sort of man I was. And I didn't want her to be with a guy who was having a kid to someone else. So I tried to push her away. And not only that, I was going through depression. I was suicidal. And so she's, for about four years, she never expressed any sort of emotion because she felt like she couldn't. And for her, she said she felt like she got to finally express all of that, like four years worth of suppressed emotion man it's pretty fucking powerful totally brother totally man that's amazing it's funny jake loretto jake loretto is actually the guy that really cracked me open too man so that's hilarious we um i did a workshop with him and luke luke smith and i cried like an absolute baby and like it was so freeing man and i took me back to a childhood trauma of when I was witnessing, like I mentioned on your podcast, when I was witnessing my mum in her state of abuse and seeing it from a third third perspective of yeah. her going through all that trauma and feeling that abuse and not feeling connected to anyone and she had to be her own support network because her mother and father were, were, had passed away and so she'd just been beaten, beaten, beaten physically and mentally and then I just witnessed all of her pain and it was so much grief like it was that that, that grief and, and pain from her was imprinted on me through my eyes witnessing it. And that is the same yeah. as your story. You've experienced something. It stays in the mind. This is what the healing journey is about. You've got to release that shit because you can see in your life, like hearing your story, you showed up in a way that was toxic and unhealthy to you and people around you because of your trauma. And this is how a lot of us show up. We we don't acknowledge this. We have no awareness that this pain actually can be released. And when we cry, like I cried in that, I saw the grief and I realized it, it, it was something that wasn't serving me anymore. And then that, that free, that, that freeing feeling. And you can probably talk a bit more on this is that you show up differently once you release that shit. And in yeah. this toxic community that we can get ourselves in and I shouldn't say toxic in a bad sense it's just the way it is because we are all evolving and we're all healing in our own time but we tell men in particular and in particular now and this is in the mining industry where I came from same with you in the FIFA industry don't cry be a man or he's a fag he's a pussy he took his life like that's fucking bullshit man straight up like that's yep. that's not okay and so now men holding their feelings so now we go and abuse women or we go and drink piss or we go and do a fuckload of drugs because we get told by society to not open up and share this shit. Is Yeah, that's exactly right, man. Couldn't yeah, it makes me very, very passionate, brother, like coming together with you and talking about this because we, we're both so connected on that level of that pain. And yeah, it's really nice to share that with, with someone like yourself. So... Lockie, brother, how? What's your perspective on healing now? So, people listening to this, they're gonna, they're gonna get a shake up, hundred percent. Like the people that need to listen to this will will get a shake up. What's your perspective on healing? How do you see it now? Not just talking about breath work, but like talking about past pain. What do you think? Uh, do you do you mean and how do you cool. what do you mean by that? Brother? That's okay. Sorry, That's, I probably should do a better job of explaining things. Um, <laughs> So this, this journey we're on, you know, like where you've come from to where you are now has been a healing journey, specifically from 
the second time you were about to take your life, that process of starting your podcast, you started doing things like counseling or um, doing your breath work. What's your perspective on that journey and how you can relate to the, how will you suggest the relevance of healing is to people listening? Do you think they need to have, and I'm not talking about a takeaway here. I'm just talking like, is it essential in your opinion? Well, it's essential if you don't want to suffer. Hang on. <laughs> like, it's the, yeah, it's um, it's essential if you don't want to suffer, brother. But you know, like, there's there's always going to be dark clouds, and there's always going to be a silver lining to a cloud. But it takes stepping out into the rain to actually see it. And most people don't want to get wet. Like, it's confronting. It's uncomfortable to um, dig up trauma or to delve into the depths of your mind, but like ultimately that's where you're going to find the key to unlock whatever it is that's holding you back. It's like, unless you do the work, you're never going to get better, man. You can't go and take a pill from a doctor or take antidepressants and expect to be healed. Like you've got to do the work. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's confronting. It's hard. It's hard as fuck. Like, man, nobody wants to mm. face their trauma. You think I wanted to face like the sexual abuse stuff? Hell no. Uh, but it's, it's necessary, man. Like unless you want to stay the same person who's broken, who's suffering, who isn't content with their life and the person that they are, like healing is yeah. necessary. And have you noticed, like you give us a clear definition of the person that you were before the healing? Like is there a huge change in the person that you were before the healing to the person you are now? Because I know, I know there is just by seeing you and witnessing you. But like give us an example of like, something that you do now that you could never think of, say it's like in a, your relationship or someone like that you interact with now that you would never imagine yourself interacting in that way ever. Do you have an example of that? Well, I will, I'll give you an example of me interacting with myself. My whole life, man, since the, the sexual abuse stuff, I've had that inferiority complex about my dick being too small. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was not blessed. I am not one of those guys. <laughs> I am average or below. Um, but like I've, I've um, signed up to be a part of something that is going to put me in a position to be naked in front of a whole group of wow. people soon. And like, that's something I would never even consider. Like it gives me so much anxiety, but I know that for me to become a better version of myself, I have to let go of that fear. Like nothing has caused me more anxiety than walking into a urinal and seeing only one spot left between two guys. <laughs> <laughs> nothing has caused me more anxiety than that. It's like, fuck, do I really do I really want to do that? Can I just fake that I'm waiting for a poo and go into a, a toilet stool? I really don't want guys to see my dick and laugh at it. Oh. But, you know, like I'm putting myself in that position mm. now and um, – like the way you treat yourself is so, so important because the way you treat yourself is the way that other people are going to treat you and the way that you show up um, in those external relationships. So like that's huge progress for me and that's only possible because I can be vulnerable enough to say to the world that I'm not packing, (laughs) (laughs) you know? That's that's powerful, brother. And I think that can add to another whole other topic is like not giving a shit what other people think. Because reality is that's just yeah. society condi- societal conditioning telling you that you're not accepted because you don't fit the confines of what we should be existing in. 
and that's bu- that's bullshit straight up yeah. bullshit bro and that's the same thing as like the fat loss pills or the botox or having to have the six pack like like the complex of like going to the gym looking in the mirror and making sure you've got the ripped body that society loves it's it's creates it's this complex yep. bro the societal conditioning is this complex like we've all got it in one way shape or form there's something that we're averaging there's something that we're below averaging but we only care about it because society cares about it and so you've got this new perspective it sounds like to go bro this is how i showed up in life this is how i was born i'm gonna have to accept it shake that shit off and move forward powerfully and commend your brother yeah yeah yes amen and i commend you because that's something even makes me nervous like that makes me nervous. And I've actually, you know, yeah. funny you mentioned this because this has come up twice in the last couple of weeks of like some retreats where they actually have this exercise. There's some retreats in Bali here that they have this exercise where you are all confronted. You're so, you're just seen in your natural state raw. And so many, yeah. so many facilitators of this have mentioned, shared with me of like the power that this brings in your own personal confidence and your own healing journey and just embodying who you truly are. So yeah, it's come up twice. Maybe I might have to jump in on it. Who knows? Yeah. Like seriously, bro, that's given, it gave me anxiety for maybe like a week, like severe, severe anxiety. And I'm not on caffeine <laughs> or anything at the moment. So it's that's like real, ca- that's real anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Like it's straight up like debilitating anxiety where I had to tell my partner, like, look, you have to look after our daughter because I, I just can't move from this bed. And after a couple of days, man, it just subsided and I've taken on uh, the viewpoint that once I get through this, like the rest of my life is going to change because I know I can do this. It's not going to kill me. Like people might have a look and judge me, but I'm going to get through it and then I can move past that roadblock and that fear. Like I'm just going to become a, like so much more confident, bro, because this, this holds me back so much. And it was one of those reasons that I was a cheating narcissist because I felt it was too small. Therefore I had to mm. prove that it wasn't mm. by sleeping with women. Mm. Paradoxically. A hundred percent, bro. I've had that same stuff, external validation, needing external validation for insecurities in myself. So I can totally, I totally relate with you, brother, and commend you one hundred percent. Like from the bottom of my heart, bro. Um, I, I actually want you to let me know how it goes. Totally. So, cool. 